assumed I had another month to prepare this. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know, I know, that that's the problem. <laughs> I know, I, I, well, it's okay. We are going to look at 2 Thessalonians today. Um, so if you want to turn there. We're going to stay in there pretty much the whole time. Um, and just go through the, the book. It's it's a fairly short book. Um, in the first book, uh, Paul kind of talks about the ministry and the call um, to love. And um, he briefly talks about the day of the Lord and then just gives you some basic overview of conduct and the way we need to behave as Christians. And in the second book, there seems to be still some issues that are going on in the church. And so he wants to readdress some problems that seem to be going on. Um, in the first chapter, he is going to deal with just a prayer uh, for the church to be encouraged, to be strengthened. And then he's going to talk about the day of the Lord, and specifically uh, the Antichrist. Um, and then he's going to end with some exhortation to encourage you and build you up. Uh, I thought that was a good, it'll be nice, uh, short book to, to cover this morning. So, uh, let's pray and then we'll, we'll get into that. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God of love and you're a god that that wants to see us mature as as your followers as your children and that want uh, wants the best for us um, and we know that there will be challenges in life um, but we can endure those things with hope knowing that you are just lift you up as we delve through this book, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of Thessalonica, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They always seem to start with this nice introduction, grace, peace, be imparted to you. And I think that's a great way that, you know, we should be thinking of each other that way. That our desire for one another should be that God fill you with grace and peace. Because a lot of the times we don't seem to have peace. And we're not always gracious with each other. But that's what God wants for us. And so throughout the epistles you're going to see that continual pattern of a call to grace and peace and that God would impart that to you. Not that you would just have it, but that God would give that to you. And that should be your desire for each other and your desire for yourself as well. That God fill you with grace and peace. We ought always to give thanks. Right? Everybody should give thanks. Right? Well, he says to God for you as is only fitting because of your faith 
that's greatly enlarged and the love of each other of which uh, you and the love of each one of you towards one another grows even greater. The reasons that we should be thankful is that we're growing. When we see people that are growing, it should be an encouragement to you. It should be exciting. You know, um, I spent a lot of time uh, just sharing gospel with different people. And when I've seen them come to that realization and start to grow, it's exciting. Because you get reminded of where you should be in that excitement because they're like it's all fresh it's all new to them and when we see that our response should be thankfulness because we know that, that that's what God's called us to it's called us to sharing the gospel with each other and when we see it being effective what else can you do but be, be happy about it right and so Paul is saying the same thing. I'm seeing this growth in you. I'm seeing the way that you're caring for the people around you. And it is exciting to me. In the same way, on the other side, when we see the church not growing, and we see the church not loving each other, that should be concerning. And that, that is something that we need to examine ourselves. Are we living out a life that brings thankfulness to other people? I just challenge you to examine yourself. You want to be the source of joy to the people who are sharing with you and to the people that are watching you to be encouraged by. And you may be a younger Christian, or you may be an older Christian. You are here to build up one another in faith and in grace. And if you're doing that, and if you see other people doing that, it should fill you with thankfulness. Because you know that God's doing something. And if it doesn't, then you need to ask yourself, why am I not excited about this. But for Paul, he said, I see it happening, and I'm excited about you guys. And I think that's happening here with us. There is a growth happening here in this church. And we have a love for each other, but it still can grow more. And as we see it growing, we need to be excited. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Now, we have a lot of growing faith and a lot of love. We really are not facing the persecutions these guys were. These guys were being killed for their faith. They were being abused for their faith. And in the midst of that, they were
people being faithful and growing. And I know we're all scared of persecution, and rightly so. Nobody wants to get hurt. (laughs) Nobody wants to be abused. But throughout the gospel, when that happens, it often produces growth. And so you guys don't need to be afraid of that. Because there are times when God needs you to grow. And he's going to allow you to go through really, really horrible things. Whether it's physically, emotionally, whether it's financially, or just people being abusive to you and talking horribly about you. That's a time to grow and be faithful to God. Not to draw back and be in fear and to to not trust. It's a time to draw near. And that's exactly what the Thessalonians had done. And he was proud of that. And it's something to be proud of. When you go through trials and you draw near to God, that's the mark of true Christianity is drawing near to God in the midst of afflictions. This is a plain indication of God's righteousness, righteous judgment, so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. What is the indication? It's that people abuse you. If you're not being abused, he's saying the reason you are abused as Christians is to prove God right when he judges the world. Now, that's a hard teaching. (laughs) That's a hard thought to think that my abuse, the people that abuse me, God is using that to prove that he's right to judge people. So often we look and we think, oh, people are, my life is horrible or things are going wrong and people are being mean to me, but I'm doing the right thing. And... Why do good things happen to evil people and horrible things happen to good people? Well, he's addressing that. He says, it is an indication that God's going to judge it. When people are abusing righteousness, that's why God will come to judge. And he says, it's plain to you. There is good people being abused. And he says, you can be counted worthy of the kingdom of God as you endure that abuse. We're never really worthy of the kingdom of God. But to some extent, participating in the abuse of the world helps us participate in his justice. Enduring that is a part of a participation in in God's justice. And we do that patiently. He says, ultimately, you are suffering for the proving of God's righteousness and for 
for the proven your own worthiness. That's a crazy thought. Because I know I have not suffered worthy of gospel. And that's a sobering reality. There will be a time when we're all going to suffer. And you need to be prepared for that. The gospel is about God's love. But the world is about evil. And it hates life. And it hates righteousness. And if you are going to be people that love each other and are going to live righteously, you will be hated. And you will be abused. That's a promise. We need to count ourselves, count the cost before you decide to follow Jesus. Because it's not going to be a fun road. It's going to hurt. There is a glory we're looking for that he's coming back and he will set it all right but in the meantime there's going to be some hard times and we need to be ready for that after all it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame and fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints. There's a judgment coming. And it's for those who don't know God, and for those who do know and don't obey. And that's a scary thought, because I know we can all be disobedient children. There are different areas each of us are disobedient in. And God wants us to be obedient. He demands that. He calls us to righteous obedience and to intimacy with him. But if we're not obedient, we're under judgment. a scary place and there are a lot of people around you that think that they're okay and they're not and it's our responsibility to be honest with them if you're being disobedient to God you're not in a safe place if you are being obedient to God then you need to be honest with the people around you and love them by being honest with them. And that will cause problems because people do not want to hear about their own problems, about how
being disobedient. Nobody wants to hear what they're doing wrong. But we need to speak the truth in love and be honest. Because there is a judgment coming and a penalty for that disobedience. So, he says, to this end also we pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of the calling and fulfill every desire of goodness and work of faith with power in order that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayer for each other should be that everything, every desire of goodness be fulfilled in our lives. We don't want to live lives that produce bad things, right? If God is a God of love, he's given us ordinances. He's given us things to obey because he loves us. And he wants the best for us, not less. And often we choose less. He wants you to be worthy of the calling and to fulfill every desire of goodness and to fulfill the work of faith with weakness, but with power. That's exciting. That he will do that when we're obedient. And he does it for the glory of the Lord Jesus. So that he can be glorified in you according to his grace. Because he is gracious when we don't deserve it. Now, chapter 2, there's obviously an issue going on here. He says, We request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by spirit or message or letter as if it's from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you for uh, it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That is the son of destruction. Something in the first century that seems to be going on in this context is that these guys were at a point where they were just like, we missed it. <laughs> How many times have you you've been at home or somewhere and you come in and you look around and like a bunch of people are missing and you're like, did I miss it? <laughs> <laughs> Scary thought, right? <laughs> uh, he says, 
Stop being worried about that. If you're being obedient, you're going to miss it. It's it's real easy to do that, and, and especially when we're thinking, you know, the return is any time, you know. And and we know we're not perfect, <laughs> so we're like, oh, I got left. I'm in trouble now. Um, <laughs> he says, don't be quickly shaken. It didn't happen. But there's something we can look forward to in preparation for that happening. There are two things in this book that say have to happen before that happens. One is the apostasy must come first. In other words, the falling away. There has to be a great falling away of the church. And in some ways that's happening today. There is a lot of the church falling away and teaching that God is not righteous, that God doesn't even exist, or really messed up doctrine about God, and denying even, you know, all kinds of things that are clearly taught in Scripture. He says that has to happen first. When you start seeing that, then you need to be aware. You need to be cautious. The return is imminent. And and right now, we should be very aware. There's something going on. There's an imminent return. The second thing is the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, that is, in John, he calls him the Antichrist. Now, John also says there are many Antichrists even today, already in the world. But ultimately, there will be one that will oppose and exalt himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now, do you see anybody doing that right now? Not really. There's two issues with that. One is, well, there's one main big issue. That is the temple. What, there is no temple. What do, we, what do we do about that? If there's no temple, then this can't be fulfilled. Well, maybe. The Bible also says we're the temple of God. So, there are two interpretations here. One is there will be a rebuilding of the physical temple. A lot of people believe that that will happen before Christ's return. On the other side, if the scripture says that we are the temple of God being built up, then something is trying to take its place in us, that is the church, and sit down as God being replaced as God. And that hasn't really happened yet. But so that's something you should be looking for. Something trying to replace all worship on the earth. So that has to happen first. 
not sure what it looks like. And I don't think we're going to see it until it happens. I don't think we're going to understand it. But when it happens, it will be obvious to all of us. When you are filled with the Spirit, the interpretation will be clear. And you will say, oh, this is what it's talking about. If it's the rebuilding of the temple, that's what it'll be. If it's something within the church, that's what it'll be. But you will recognize it because the Spirit will clearly show you this is the apostasy. But in the meantime, what are you called to? Obedience to God. That's the real issue. And calling other people to love. And calling other people to obedience to Christ. So that they aren't stuck in judgment, in persecution, in the wrath of God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things and you knew what, uh, you know what restrains him now so that in his time he may be revealed for the ministry of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawlessness, lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearing of his coming. Now, this restrainer, it doesn't, that's all it says, there's a restrainer. And many people think this is the church itself. This is the Holy Spirit. There's a couple different interpretations of that. When it is taken out of the way, the final Antichrist will show up. And immediately following that, Christ is going to show up and destroy him. There's a lot in here. I'm not going to go too deep into it. But I want you to know that there are some things that we need to be looking for. And not be quickly moved and quickly anxious, but presently active and sharing the gospel because the time is short. Now, he's going to define this guy a little bit more in verse 9. This is the one whose coming is in accordance with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. You know, a lot of people are looking for signs and looking for wonders and looking for, you know, these wonderful acts. He says, Satan can do that too. And don't be deceived when it comes out. And something crazy is going on that is miraculous because it is there to deceive you. There is a deception coming. And it's for those people who didn't receive the love of truth. 
to be your heart. We need to fall in love with truth. Because that's who we're called to be. And that's where we find salvation. Falling in love with truth. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they may believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but instead took pleasure in wickedness. Our sinful flesh easily takes pleasure in wickedness. And that's disturbing. It should be disturbing. Because we are messed up people. And we need to be transformed and allow God to renew our mind so that we aren't pleasured by that anymore. It should disturb us. And when it doesn't, we know there's a place where God still needs to work in us. And we need to open that up to him and allow him to change our attitude instead of hiding and trying to keep that little area in our life that still loves whatever pleasure it is, whatever evil it is, whatever wickedness is still in our life. It needs to be turned over to God in obedience. Because that is why the judgment comes. Because of disobedience and hearts that are wicked. But he says, you guys are already doing that. We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. You're being set apart for the purpose of glorification. And that should be exciting. And as you see that wickedness, that heart, that evil in you, and that desire changing, it should be exciting to you. You know, when I was younger, I thought very, very differently than I do now. And sometimes those changes are very subtle. Sometimes they're very obvious. But when we recognize there is a difference in who you are than who you used to be, that should be exciting. Because that means God's doing something in you. And he is setting you apart for a purpose. He is sanctifying you. was for this that he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Hold firm. You know, I know sometimes as we get older in our faith, 
happens. We mature. It's easy to become stagnant. It's easy to to feel like we're just trudging on in the same old thing. And he says, stand firm in it. Because there is a hope and a reason that you're doing the things that you're doing. And he has a plan to make you better than what you are. To purify you. And we need to be careful that what we stand on is in the word and not some just philosophy that we've learned listening to some teacher somewhere, but it is actually the word of God. It's the only thing that we can stand firm on. Now, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. How does he comfort us? He comforts us as we're active, as we do what he's called us to do. You know, sometimes... We feel anxiety and we feel stress because the reality is we're not doing what we're called to do. He says you're going to get that comfort as you're faithful, as you're being obedient. And as you stand on the word of God. Finally, brethren, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. We need to be praying that the gospel advance all over the world. Because if we really love people, we don't want to see them live out this life in wickedness and we don't want to see them judged. There are a lot of people in the world that are dying without hope. It's our place to share that hope with them and to love them and be honest in hopes that their lives will be transformed by this word. So we need to pray for that, that it would be spreading rapidly and that it would be glorified and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men for not everybody has faith. There are a lot of people out there today sharing the gospel in third world countries, in communist countries, in socialist standing countries where they are abused. He says, pray for us that we'll be delivered from perverse people. We need to be in prayer for the persecuted church because there are people that hate the church. We are lucky where we're 
since. We have been protected here in America for a long time. But that's not the way the church is all over the world. What am I to be praying for them? That they will be delivered from this evil one. However, he says, the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts unto the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. How's that for a prayer? May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. How was Christ steadfast? He was steadfast to go to the cross. He was faithful in all circumstances. Even right before that, he prayed, hey, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours. That needs to be our heart. Finally, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not in accordance with the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our examples, because we do not act in undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we don't have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you that you might follow our examples. For even when we were with you, we used to give this order. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life and doing, uh, and doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. We're called to be providing for ourselves. And we need to call each other to that. To work hard. Now, there's some debate on what was going on here. Some people say that these people had quit their jobs because they believed that the return of Christ was imminent. And so they were like, you know, who needs to work? Christ is coming back right now. <laughs> and there's no point. It's just, no. God put you here to produce. And you need to work for a living. There is also another group that says that, that there was a, uh, a tradition where people would, would be basically kind of live off the rich. And they'd take handouts. And they, they were like kind of personal assistants. So they'd quit all their job. And, and you know, when, when some rich person wanted something, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we'll run and do it for you. But, you know, and take kind of a little tip here and there. And it was not consistent work. 
and they were like, you guys need to not be inconsistent with your jobs. Do a job that provides for you. And so we need to be faithful to that. And we need to call each other to be faithful to, to go and do a job. Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> but that's what God's called us to. To work. To be an example to others of supplying our own needs. And supplying the needs of others around us. Now, such a person, we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, don't grow weary of doing good. You know, I know so many people, they're like, oh, I, you know, I'm tired of just being a good person. You know, everybody around me is doing all kinds of fun. <laughs> I was talking to um, a friend the other day, and they're like, you know, when I became a Christian, I realized I can't do anything fun anymore. Well, no, it was that, that they realized that they weren't, it wasn't that they wanted to do it. It was that the things that they considered fun before, they don't want to do anymore. <laughs> they were like, it's really confusing to me. And, and that's the reality. Your desires will change. But don't grow weary of having those desires. Don't look back and think, oh, the grass was greener on the other side. Because it really wasn't. It was a hopeless place when we were disobedient, when we were lost. We need to work in quiet fashion consistent in doing good. And it's not that hard. That's not a hard, burdensome thing that God wants for you. He wants you to be productive and to do good things. People are like, oh, if I become a Christian, I'm, I'm going to have to stop doing all this stuff. No, you just need to do things that are good <laughs> that have a lasting value that's not just about yourself because that's the problem we become very selfish we are naturally selfish God wants us to do good and if anyone doesn't obey our instructions in this letter take special note of that man and don't associate with him so that he may be put to shame. Yet, don't regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You know, we all fall into all kinds of things where we're not living up to perfection. None of us are living up to perfection. And there will be people in the church who will fall. And we need to admonish them. But we need to love them too. We need to call them to righteousness. But we need to be careful 
that while that call should bring shame to their lives, we also have to build them up and admonish them as a brother, not as an enemy. Now may, it, may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. May the Lord be with you. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand, and this is his distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May the Lord of peace himself every circumstance. That's what we all want. We want to not be at odds with God and we want to not be at odds with each other, but to be at peace. And we can only get that from the God of peace. So that should be our prayer for each other. And it's sure my prayer for you guys. May the God of peace grant you peace in all the circumstances you're in. Father, we thank you that you are a God of peace. You are a God of love and you care about us in every situation that we're in. And so as we look forward to your return, and we live in hope and work hard in diligent faithfulness and in love for each other. Fill us with that peace and fill us with that grace and love for one another. In Jesus' name. assumed I had another month to prepare this. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know, I know, that that's the problem. <laughs> I know, I, I, well, it's okay. We are going to look at 2 Thessalonians today. Um, so if you want to turn there. We're going to stay in there pretty much the whole time. Um, and just go through the, the book. It's, it's a fairly short book. Um, in the first book, uh, Paul kind of talks about the ministry and the call um, to love. And um, he briefly talks about the day of the Lord and then just gives you some basic overview of conduct and the way we need to behave as Christians. And in the second book, there seems to be still some issues that are going on in the church. And so he wants to readdress some problems that seem to be going on. Um, in the first chapter, he is going to deal with just a prayer uh, for the church to be encouraged, to be strengthened. And then he's going to talk about 
the day of the Lord and specifically uh, the Antichrist. Um, and then he's going to end with some exhortation to encourage you and build you up. Uh, and I thought that was a good, it'll be nice, uh, short book to, to cover this morning. So, uh, let's pray and then we'll, we'll get into that. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God of, of uh, love and you are a God that, that wants to see us mature as, as your followers, as your children, and that want, uh, wants the best for us. We know that there will be challenges in life, um, but we can endure those things with hope, knowing that you are returning. And so we just lift you up as we delve through this book, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse one, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of Thessalonica, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They always seem to start with this nice introduction, grace, peace, be imparted to you. And, and I think that's a great way that, you know, we should be thinking of each other that way, that our desire for one another should be that God fill you with grace and peace. Because a lot of the times we don't seem to have peace, and we're not always gracious with each other, but that's what God wants for us, and so throughout the epistles, you're going to see that continual pattern of a call to grace and peace, and that God would impart that to you, not that you would just have it, but that God would give that to you, and that should be your desire for each other, and your desire for yourself as well, that God fill you with grace and peace. We ought always to give thanks, right? Everybody should give thanks, right? Well, he says to God for you, as is only fitting because of your faith that's greatly enlarged and the love of each other of which uh, you and the love of each one of you towards one another grows even greater. The reasons that we should be thankful is that we're growing. When we see people that are growing, it should be an encouragement to you. It should be exciting. You know, um, I spent a lot of time uh, just sharing gospel with different people, and when I've seen them come to that realization and start to grow, it's exciting. Because you get reminded of where you should be in that excitement. Because they're like, it's all fresh. It's all new to them. And when we see that, our response should be thankfulness. Because we know that, that that's what God's called us to. It's called us to sharing the gospel with each other. And when we see it being effective, what else can you do but be be happy about it, right? And so Paul is saying the same thing. I'm seeing this growth in you. I'm seeing the way that you're caring for the people around you, and it is exciting to me. 
in the same way on the other side when we see the church not growing and we see the church not loving each other what should we concern ourselves with and that that is something that we need to examine ourselves are we living out a life that brings thankfulness to other people I just challenge you to examine yourself you want to be the source of joy to the people who are sharing with you and to the people that are watching you to be encouraged by you and you may be a younger Christian or you may be an older Christian you are here to build up one another in faith and in grace. And if you're doing that, and if you see other people doing that, it should fill you with thankfulness because you know that God's doing something. And if it doesn't, then you need to ask yourself, why am I not excited about it? But for Paul, he said, I see it happening, and I'm excited about you guys. And I think that's happening here with us. There is a growth happening here in this church. And we have a love for each other, but it still can grow more. And as we see it growing, we need to be excited about that. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God, for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Now, we have a lot of growing faith and a lot of love. We really are not facing the persecutions these guys were. These guys were being killed for their faith. They were being abused for their faith. And in the midst of that, they were being faithful and growing. And I know we're all scared of persecution, and rightly so. Nobody wants to get hurt. <laughs> Nobody wants to be abused. But throughout the gospel, when that happens, it often produces growth. And so I, you guys don't need to be afraid of that. Because there are times when God needs you to grow. And he's going to allow you to go through really, really horrible things. Whether it's physically, emotionally, whether it's financially, or just people being abusive to you and talking horribly about you. That's a time to grow and be faithful to God. Not to draw back and be in fear and to to not trust it's time to draw near and that's exactly what the Thessalonians had done and he was proud of that and it's something to be proud of when you go through trials and you draw near to God that's the mark of true Christianity is drawing near to God 
in the midst of afflictions. This is a plain indication of God's righteousness, righteous judgment, so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. What is the indication? It's that people abuse you. If you're not being abused, he's saying the reason you are abused as Christians is to prove God right when he judges the world. Now, that's a hard teaching. <laughs> that's a hard thought to think that my abuse, the people that abuse me, God is using that to prove that he's right to judge people. So often we look and we think, oh, people are, I'm, my life is horrible or things are going wrong and people are being mean to me, but I'm doing the right thing. And do good things happen to evil people and horrible things happen to good people? Well, he's addressing that. He says it is an indication that God's going to judge it. When people are abusing righteousness, that's why God will come to judge. And he says, it's plain to you. There's good people being abused. he says you can be counted worthy of the kingdom of God as you endure that abuse. We're never really worthy of the kingdom of God. But to some extent participating in the abuse of the world helps us participate in his justice. Enduring it is a part of a participation in, in God's justice. And we do that patiently. He says, ultimately, you are suffering for the proving of God's righteousness and for the proving your own worthiness. That's a crazy thought. Because I know I have not suffered worthy of the gospel. And that's a sobering reality. There will be a time when we're all going to suffer. And you need to be prepared for that. The gospel is about God's love, but the world is about evil, and it hates love, and it hates righteousness. And if you are going to be people that love each other and are going to live righteously, you will be hated, and you will be abused. That's a promise. We need to count ourselves, count the cost before you decide to follow Jesus. Because it's not going to be a fun road. It's going to hurt. There is a glory we're looking for. That he's coming back and he will set it all right. But in the meantime, there's going to be some hard times.
we need to be ready for that. After all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame and fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints. There's a judgment coming. And it's for those who don't know God and for those who do know and don't obey. And that's a scary thought because I know we can all be disobedient children. There are different areas each of us are disobedient in. And God wants us to be obedient. He demands that. He calls us to righteous obedience and to intimacy with him. But if we're not obedient, we're under judgment. And that's a scary place. And there are a lot of people around you that think that they're okay and they're not. And it's our responsibility to be honest with them. If you're being disobedient to God, you're not in a safe place. If you are being obedient to God, then you need to be honest with the people around you and love them by being honest with them. And that will cause problems because people do not want to hear about their own problems, about how they're being disobedient. Nobody wants to hear what they're doing wrong. But we need to speak the truth in love and be honest because there is a judgment coming and a penalty for that disobedience so he says to this end also we pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of the calling and fulfill every desire of goodness and work of faith with power in order that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. And you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, our prayer for each other should be that everything, every desire of goodness be fulfilled in our we don't want to live lives that produce bad things, right? If God is a God of love, he's given us ordinances. He's given us things to obey because he loves us. 
and he wants the best for us, not less. And often we choose less. He wants you to be worthy of the calling and to fulfill every desire of goodness and to fulfill the work of faith not with weakness but with power that's exciting that he will do that when we're obedient and he does it for the glory of the Lord Jesus so that he can be glorified in you according to his grace because he is gracious when we don't deserve it. Now, chapter 2, there's obviously an issue going on here. He says, We request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by spirit or message or letter as if it's from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you for uh, it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That is the son of destruction. Something in the first century that seems to be going on in this context is that these guys were at a point where they were just like, we missed it. <laughs> How many times have you you've been at home or somewhere and you come in and you look around and like a bunch of people are missing and you're like, did I miss it? <laughs> <laughs> Scary thought, right? <laughs> says, stop being worried about that. If you're being obedient, you didn't miss it. It's, it's real easy to do that. And, and especially when we're thinking, you know, the return is any time, you know. And, and we know we're not perfect. <laughs> so we're like, oh, I got left. I'm in trouble now. Um, <laughs> he says, don't be quickly shaken. It didn't happen. But there's something we can look forward to in preparation for that happening. There are two things in this book that say have to happen before that happens. One is the apostasy must come first. In other words, the falling away there has to be a great falling away of the church. And in some ways, that's happening today. There is a lot of the church falling away and teaching that God is not righteous, that God doesn't even exist, or really messed up doctrine about God, and denying even, you know, all kinds of things that are clearly taught in scripture. 
says, that has to happen first. When you start seeing that, then you need to be aware. You need to be cautious. The return is imminent. And, and right now, we should be very aware. There's something going on. There's an imminent return. The second thing is the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, that is, in John, he calls him the Antichrist. John also says there are many antichrists even today already in the world but ultimately there will be one that will oppose and exalt himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God now you see anybody doing that right now really there's two issues with that one is well there's one main big issue that is the temple what, there, there is no temple what do, we, what do we do about that if there's no temple then this can't be fulfilled well maybe the Bible also says we're the temple of God so there are two interpretations here. One is there will be a rebuilding of the physical temple. A lot of people believe that that will happen before Christ's return. On the other side, if the scripture says that we are the temple of God being built up, then something is trying to take its place in us. That is the church and sit down as God being replaced as God. And that hasn't really happened yet. But so that's something you should be looking for. Something trying to replace all worship on the earth. So that has to happen first. I'm not sure what it looks like. And I don't think we're going to see it until it happens. I don't think we're going to understand it. But when it happens, it will be obvious to all of us. When you are filled with the Spirit, the interpretation will be clear. And you will say, oh, this is what it's talking about. If it's the rebuilding of the temple, that's what it'll be. If it's something within the church, that's what it'll be. But you will recognize it because the Spirit will clearly show you this is the apostasy. But in the meantime, what are you called to? Obedience to God. That's the real issue. And calling other people to love. And calling other people to obedience to Christ. So that they aren't stuck in judgment, in persecution, in the wrath of God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things, and you knew what uh, you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the ministry of lawlessness is already at work; only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then. 
the lawlessness, lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearing of his coming. Now, this restrainer, it doesn't, that's all it says, there's a restrainer. And many people think this is the church itself. This is the Holy Spirit. There's a couple different interpretations of that. When it is taken out of the way, the final Antichrist will show up. And immediately following that, Christ is going to show up and destroy him. There's a lot in here. I'm not going to go too deep into it. But I want you to know that there are some things that we need to be looking for and not be quickly moved and quickly anxious, but presently active and sharing the gospel because the time is short. going to define this guy a little bit more in verse 9. This is the one whose coming is in accordance with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. You know, a lot of people are looking for signs and looking for wonders and looking for, you know, these wonderful acts. He says, Satan can do that too. And don't be deceived when it comes out and something crazy is going on that is miraculous because it is there to deceive you. There is a deception coming. And it's for those people who didn't receive the love of truth. And that needs to be your heart. We need to fall in love with truth. Because that's who we're called to be. And that's where we find salvation. Falling in love with truth. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they may believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but instead took pleasure in wickedness. Our sinful flesh easily takes pleasure in wickedness. And that's disturbing. And it should be disturbing. Because we are messed up people. And we need to be transformed and allow God to renew our mind so that we aren't pleasured by that anymore. It should disturb us. And when it doesn't, we know there's 
points where God still needs to work in us. And we need to open that up to him and allow him to change our attitude instead of hiding and trying to keep that little area in our life that still loves whatever pleasure it is, whatever evil it is, whatever wickedness is still in our life. It needs to be turned over to God in obedience. Because that is why the judgment comes. Because of disobedience and the hearts that are wicked. But he says, you guys are already doing that. We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. You're being set apart for the purpose of glorification. And that should be exciting. And as you see that wickedness, that heart, that evil in you, and that desire changing, it should be exciting to you. You know, when I was younger, I thought very, very differently than I do now. And sometimes those changes are very subtle. Sometimes they're very obvious. But when we recognize there is a difference in who you are than who you used to be, should be exciting to you because that means God's doing something in you and he is setting you apart for a purpose he is sanctifying you and that's exciting it was for this that he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Hold firm. You know, I know sometimes as we get older in our faith, as we mature, it's easy to become stagnant. It's easy to, to feel like we're just trudging on in the same old thing. But he says, stand firm in it. Because there is a hope and a reason that you're doing the things that you're doing. And he has a plan to make you better than what you are. To purify you. We need to be careful that what we stand on is in the word and not some just philosophy that we've learned from listening to some teacher somewhere, but it is actually the word of God. It's the only thing that we can stand firm on. Now, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. How does he comfort us? 
He comforts us as we're active, as we do what he's called us to do. You know, sometimes we feel anxiety and we feel stress because the reality is we're not doing what we're called to do. He says, you're going to get that comfort as you're faithful, as you're being obedient. And as you stand on the word of God. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. We need to be praying that the gospel advance all over the world. Because if we really love people, we don't want to see them live out this life in wickedness, and we don't want to see them judged. There are a lot of people in the world that are dying without share that hope with them and to love them and be honest in hopes that their lives will be transformed by the Spirit. So we need to pray for that. That it would be spreading rapidly and that it be glorified and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men for not everybody has faith. There are a lot of people out there today sharing the gospel in third world countries, in communist countries, in socialist standing countries where they are abused. He says pray for us will be delivered from perverse people. We need to be in prayer for the persecuted church. Because there are people that hate the church. We are lucky where we're at in one sense. We have been protected here in America for a long time. But that's not the way the church is all over. However, he says, the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts unto the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. How's that for a prayer? direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. How was Christ steadfast? He was steadfast to go to the cross. He was faithful in all circumstances. Even right before that, he prayed, hey, if there's any other way, 
let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. That needs to be our heart. Finally, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life and not in accordance with the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our examples because we do not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we don't have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you that you might follow our examples. For even when we were with you, we used to give this order. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life and doing, uh, and doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. We're called to be providing for ourselves. And we need to call each other to that. To work hard. Now, there's some debate on what was going on here. Some people say that these people had quit their jobs because they believed that the return of Christ was imminent. And so they were like, you know, who needs to work? Christ is coming back right now. <laughs> There's no point. He says, no. God put you here to produce. And you need to work for a living. There is also another group that says that, that there was a, uh, a tradition where people would, would be basically kind of live off the rich. And they'd take handouts. And they, they were like kind of personal assistants. So they'd quit all their job and... And, you know, when, when some rich person wanted something, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we'll run and do it for you. But, you know, and take kind of a little tip here and there. And it was not consistent work. And they were like, you guys need to not be inconsistent with your jobs. Do a job that provides for you. And so we need to be faithful to that. And we need to call each other to be faithful to, to go and do a job. Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> but that's what God's called us to. To work. To be an example to others. Of supplying our own needs. And supplying the needs of others around us. Now, such a person, we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, don't grow weary of doing good. You know, I know so many people who are like, oh, I, you know, I'm tired of just being a good person. <laughs> Everybody around me is doing all kinds of fun. <laughs> I was talking to uh, a friend the other day, and they're like, you know, when I became a Christian, I realized I can't do anything fun anymore. Well, no, it was that, that they realized that they weren't 
it wasn't that they wanted to do it. It was that the things that they considered fun before, they don't want to do anymore. <laughs> they were like, it's really confusing to me. And, and that's the reality. Your desires will change. But don't grow weary of having those desires. Don't look back and think, oh, the grass was greener on the other side. Because it really wasn't. It was a hopeless place. And we were disobedient. And we were lost. We need to work in quiet fashion and be consistent in doing good. And it's not that hard. That's not a hard, burdensome thing that God wants for you. He wants you to be productive and to do good things. doing all this stuff. No, you just need to do things that are good. <laughs> that have a lasting value. That's not just about yourself. Because that's the problem. We become very selfish. We are naturally selfish. God wants us to do and if anyone doesn't obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of that man and don't associate with him so that he may be put to shame. Yet, don't regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You know, we all fall into all kinds of things where we're not living up to perfection. None of us are living up to perfection. And there will be people in the church who will fall. And we need to admonish them. But we need to love them too. We need to call them to righteousness. But we need to be careful that while that call should bring shame to their lives, we also have to build them up admonish them as a brother not as an enemy now may, uh, may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance may the Lord be with you I Paul am writing this greeting with my own hand and this is his distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May the Lord of peace himself grant you peace in every circumstance. That's what we all want. We want to not be at odds with God to not be at odds with each other, but to be at peace. And we can only get that from the God of peace. So that should be our prayer for each other.
and it's for sure my prayer for you guys. May the God of peace grant you peace in all the circumstances you're in. Father, we thank you that you are a God of peace. You are a God of love, and you care about us in every situation that we're in. And so as we look forward to your return and we live in hope and work hard in diligent faithfulness and in love for each other, fill us with that peace and fill us with that grace and love that we need. In Jesus' name.